Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, because we're actually splitting this episode into two parts, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Didn't we do this already? Yes, we did. Okay. But it turned out to be longer than we thought. Yeah, it, the the episode about the year in tech for 2012 ended up, uh, Chris and I ended up being chatty Cathy's, and uh, it I think, uh, according to Tyler, the full-length episode was about an hour and 17 or 18 minutes long, which we thought was excessive. So we decided to split that into two. So now, without further ado, we bring you part two of the year that was the tech of 2012, What Happened. Uh, other executive shakeups. we just did a recent episode about two big names leaving big companies. Uh, we had Forstall leaving Apple. Uh, he was, uh, the, the fellow who was, uh, Scott Forstall, who was, uh, uh, kind of in charge of iOS. And, um, and he, there were several things that kind of led up to his, uh, departure from Apple. Uh, he went into an advisory position, but then would eventually leave the company. Uh, I don't think he's actually left yet. Right. Uh, he's still in an advisory capacity, but, um, one of the many problems with his uh, tenure was uh, the the Maps app for iOS. Uh, when I, the iPhone 5 was announced and iOS 6 was coming out, uh, the Maps feature was heavily promoted in those releases because it was something that was – it was the native turn-by-turn map application for the iPhone. And it uh, replaced other apps that had been – uh, supported on the iPhone previously and now were no longer supported. Uh, unfortunately, there was a problem. It was not always accurate. Um, some people had real problems with the Maps app. I, I only used it a couple of times. My wife has an iPhone, and so we used it on her device. And I used, at the same time, I had uh, Google Maps running on my Android phone. And while it gave us different routes to get to the same destination, in both cases, the the route would have gotten us there. So there wasn't any problem along those lines. We weren't put on any phantom roads or sent in wild goose, goose chases or anything. But there were other reports of some pretty notable problems with the Maps app, like finding out that the uh, the bridge that you need to cross is actually four miles further up the street than where you were told to turn which could end in disaster for someone who is slavishly devoted to following the directions that their phone is giving them. I'm not saying that they're out there. I'm just saying that if they are out there, they're probably buying a new car now because their old one has been washed out to sea. Yeah. The other the other guy who uh who made big headlines in leaving um, apparently at, uh, some kind of a mutual agreement that he was going to be leaving, <laughs> at least according to, to, to the sources within the company and right. to him, that, uh, that would be Steve Sanofsky, who yeah. was, uh, instrumental at Microsoft in getting the, uh, brand new release out the door, Windows 8. Yep. Um, yep. he, he, uh, was, took the stage and introduced the Microsoft Surface tablet as well as Windows 8, uh, to, to, you know, decent response. Um, and then uh, within a couple of months, there was the news report that he was leaving Microsoft effective immediately, which 
the effective immediately part suggested that perhaps it was a, uh, uh, a corporate decision to replace him. Uh, but the official word seems to be that it was a, a, a decision reached uh, by both parties. Sanofsky, for his part, says that whenever you finish a project, it's natural to go ahead and think about what else would you like to do. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The departure to me seems pretty sudden for it to be mutual. Yeah. If it were mutual, I would imagine there would have been more of a gradual transition plan, something that wasn't so sudden. Mm -hmm. Because when it's that fast, it sends a very sharp message to shareholders. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a transition plan and you say, all right, now that we've got Windows 8 out, Sanofsky's decided he wants to pursue something else now, we've got this transition plan in place, then you could ease shareholders into that and it won't be quite as big a shock. That's See, to me, that's the, the real giveaway to me. Now, I could be completely misinterpreting that, but that's how my brain works, y'all. <laughs> Well, another big uh, Microsoft news, they released a tablet. Yep, the Surface tablet. Yes. Now, now Windows 8 um, runs on tablets and computers, and mm. it's got a couple different interfaces, uh, one of which is designed to look very much like um, its Windows phone software. Yep. Um, the Surface uses a variant on this, the Windows RT. Yes. And it, it looks very, very similar to that. Um, Surface... Uh, makes news for a couple reasons. Not only is it a brand new tablet from Windows, uh, or for Microsoft and, uh, uses this new version of Windows, but it's, it's Microsoft's taking, uh, its hand at ma manufacturing hardware as well as software, not just for the Xbox, uh, gaming system, but for a tablet computer too. Right. Which, which caused a lot of, uh, of, of kerfuffle. I mean, you had people asking, does this mean that Microsoft is going into direct competition with its partners because Microsoft is really known for providing the operating system and then other companies provide the hardware. I mean, that's, that's traditionally how they've done the, their work with computer systems that, you know, they, they provide the operating system, but you buy your computer from some other company. Uh, for Microsoft to get into the hardware business with tablets, that s sends the message of, well, now they're in the, the business of actually making the devices as well as the operating systems, which puts them more in a camp similar to Apple's, although Microsoft still licenses its operating system out to everyone else. So that's different from Apple, obviously. Apple is, is very much a closed system, uh, and Microsoft's kind of straddling the line here. Microsoft, for its part, was essentially saying that the tablet was more to, you know, it, it is a consumer device and they do plan on selling it to consumers, but that it was also more to show the capabilities of Windows 8 so, so as to get more hardware developers interested in creating devices specifically with the Windows 8 operating system in mind. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I know that, uh, I, I was reading articles that suggest that Surface sales have not lived up to expectations. But uh, without having gone into further detail, I honestly can't speak more to that. It could very well be that it was a misleading headline. Often when you read these headlines, they say one thing, and then when you dive into the data, you realize that this might not be uh, accurate, <laughs> an, well, accurate de an accurate description of what's actually going on. I have seen similar reports for both Windows 8 and for the Surface, um, and – 
it may be too that uh, what is success for a smaller company isn't success for a company the size uh, and with the clout of a Microsoft. So, and plus, I, I, point. Um, I think part of the Windows 8 thing is uh, original equipment manufacturers. Yep. Um, haven't the the computer sales of uh, sales of computers have been off a little bit anyway this sure. year, um, so I think that may have uh, a part to play in it. Plus, we have the holiday season uh, rapidly approaching as we are we're sort of in the middle of it, but we're coming yeah. to the time when people are buying new stuff for a lot of people. And by, and the, may, by the time this airs, it'll be over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, there will probably be new headlines generated after that. And also, keep in, we have to keep in mind, Windows 8 is such a dramatic departure from the previous versions of Windows that it could be causing some people to hesitate. Because it is, I mean, when you look at it, it looks so different from the previous versions of Windows that it can it can intimidate some people. You know, there there is a learning curve to picking up an operating system, particularly one that at least upon first glance, is so dramatically different from the ones that you're used to. So I'm sure that's playing a role as well. Uh, if people are in general having positive experiences with Windows 8, I would imagine that that would, uh, that would even out pretty quickly. Well, plus the, um, the, the recession is still fading and it's not moving as rapidly as, as uh, a lot of people would like. And so people who are uh, happy with their... Windows XP, Windows Vista, and Windows 7 computers are probably not upgrading um, just because they want to as quickly as they might have otherwise. Now, of course, uh, Microsoft was not the only company to release a tablet this year. The iPad Mini came out uh, from from Apple. Um, it still confuses me. Chris, seriously, answer me. Why would Apple release a smaller version of the iPad that's priced in such a way that it ends up competing with the iPod Touch, which in my mind really already is a smaller version of the iPad. Well, it's gotten very confusing this year as Samsung has come out with the second version of its Note. And then, Chris, can you answer me a question? Why would you create a, a phone the size of a small tablet and then call it a phablet? Because that's just wrong. And then Google came out with the Nexus 10, which is now competing with a segment of the tablet market um, that also, it was yeah. avoiding by creating the Nexus 7. Seven. Okay, I own a Nexus 7. Yes. Um, which, by the way, I like. I got the Nexus 7 early. I ordered it as soon as it uh, became available, and I, I got it within a week. And um, it's a nice tablet. I like it. I'm, I don't use it as frequently as I'm sure some people use their tablets, uh, which I think proves my... my uh, the 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 suspicion I had, which is that tablet is just a form factor that's not really for me, uh, because even though I love the operating system and I do enjoy using the tablet, I just don't pick it up that frequently. Um, but yeah, the Nexus 10 is now it, well, it is interesting because now Google's competing against the iPad space and Apple's competing against the seven-inch tablet space, which is something that Steve Jobs had said he wasn't interested in doing ever. That he, you know, uh, he was focused mainly on iPad and iPod Touch was uh, kind of like a, that. That was viewed more as an iPhone without the phone, and the iPad was a tablet, and that there wasn't any interest to get into that seven-inch tablet market. Um, uh, obviously, things change, and you know, sometimes things change. Steve Jobs may very well have been fully behind the iPad Mini before his his 
passing because usually these these products have been in development for a couple of years before they hit the market. And it may very well be that he had changed his mind but then didn't want to tip the cards uh, when he said, like, no, we're not interested in that market. And cannibalize sales of existing 10-inch iPads. It still confuses me. It's the pricing that confuses me. Oh, well, it's because, I mean, the iPod Touch goes up higher than the lowest end of the iPad Mini. So why would you buy a high-end iPod Touch when you could get a low-end iPad Mini? I just don't get it. And then there was the iPhone 5. I mean, if only someone could explain it to me. I, mean, I know I'm not a finance guy. but And a new version of the iPod Touch. Because, I mean, who would – okay, I'm done. Um, yeah, there were quite a few uh, new products from from Apple, many of which were in the iPad line. They had a new MacBook design that really blew a lot of people away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read one report that essentially said they they considered the MacBook, the new redesigned MacBook, to be the best laptop computer on the market today. Just you know, all around the best laptop. Uh, that's that's not those aren't my words. Um, I don't own a MacBook. I the only uh, Mac I have is an iMac. So they released a new iMac this year that yeah. was very very thin. But um, in in ticking off the Mac and Apple faithful news, um, they came out with the iPad three, and then only a few months later came out with the well 4. actually that was the, the new, new iPad iPad yeah the new new iPad <laughs> came out only months later with a completely redesigned connector. Yep, forcing people to uh, with with equipment that used the old style connector and wanted one of these new devices, and this includes the iPhone five and the newest um, iPod devices uh, that use the new Lightning connector, which is a smaller connector than the old devices used to buy adapters or that just- would make them work with their old equipment. And we're talking. Alarm clocks, uh, speaker systems, yeah, well, etc. Some, some of those docking stations, you can't really use an adapter on anyway. No. You, you're essentially saying, well, unless I just use older equipment, like I, I, in other words, I don't trade in my old iPod. I just keep it, and it just it'll permanently be attached to this dock from here on out. Uh, that was pretty much what you would be stuck with. But on the on the flip side, the nice thing about the lightning connector was that you can plug it in either way. Like you know, there's no wrong way to plug it in. To the dock, so you don't have to worry about oh, is this face up? Is it face down? Am I going to be? Am I going to break this by trying to plug it in this way? Uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore, which is kind of nice. But yeah, um, it was kind of a shock to iPad owners who had bought the new iPad when it came out in the early part of 2012, when just uh, you know, like six or seven months later, a new new iPod, uh, iPad came out, and that was uh, I heard more than a little grumbling about that. Not, I, but first of all, come on! You're not forced to buy these things. That's true. I mean, I, I can I can understand if you were, you know, if, if somehow you had this compulsion where you had to buy every single Apple product as soon as it came out. But really, get some therapy. I mean, you know, you, no one is making you buy these things. So I, I don't know. They're all. I, I go back and forth on this one. There were also a, a lot of people angry at Apple this year because a because they were found um, um, four in the legal system against Samsung. Uh, depending uh, on where you are, yeah, exactly. Because because in other countries they found um, for Samsung. Um, yes, and this these were were patent lawsuits. Uh, yeah. Many people were angry at well, actually, either or both uh, Apple and Samsung for fighting these 
what seemed to be interminable patent lawsuits over what infringed on whose patent. Um, but yeah. this, this is an ages old practice. This predates the computer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just there was a fresh round of this and, uh, things like, uh, the, the United Kingdom forcing Apple to, um, to claim on its website that, uh, Apple won against Samsung because Apple's products were clearly cooler. And so they had to post on their website that obviously they weren't infringed upon because their opponents' patents or products were not nearly as cool as Apple's. And therefore, Apple was... There was a point where Apple was forced to essentially uh, apologize. Yes, they apologized because... And then Their products were cooler, and they 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 tried to bury this information on the website, and the courts got angry with Apple for doing this because it was hidden at the very bottom in the footer of its page, and they wanted it displayed more prominently. Right. Yeah, it was one of those things where, it, yeah, it just got pretty ridiculous. But essentially, they the courts found it in in favor of Samsung in those cases, but in the United States, it was the other way around, and um, it's it's. Still a very complicated mess. Patent wars often are. And, uh, it's, you know, one of those things where in one nation, you could be found to be in the right. And in another nation, it could be the other party. And, um, it's a mess, man. I mean, uh, as a consumer, you just hope that what, however it, it, it turns out that you're still able to get access to the products that you like. Um, you know, cause, one of the, the things that can come out of these patent uh, wars is that sometimes courts will support a company's claim and and uh, uh, prevent the other company from selling uh, that particular product or line of products within the country. Uh, we've seen that happen in Europe a few times, particularly in places like Germany, where um, these patent wars turn really, really ugly. So, yeah, that was a big story throughout 2012 was the Apple-Samsung battle, which, of course, you know, continues to this day. So uh, I don't expect that to disappear anytime soon. Oh, oh, another story that happened early, early, early in 2012 that uh, I meant to mention when we were talking about the shakeups, mm-hmm. RIM. Oh, right. The co-founders of RIM, who were the co-CEOs of, uh, of RIM, this is the company that, of course, uh, makes BlackBerry phones, uh, they resigned which uh, was not a huge surprise because the company had been in uh, some some trouble. Uh, uh, they had been struggling quite a bit with uh, their product lines and with the market share and uh, just uh, uh, the the public's perception of BlackBerry. Uh, the Playbook tablet that came out um, a couple years ago did not do well. Um, it was just a, it was just a series of setbacks for the company. And so the co-CEOs resigned in early, uh, in early 2012. So that was a big story too. And I meant to mention that earlier, but, um, as far as other products that came out, the only other one that I, that jumps out at me is uh, Nintendo's Wii U. Yes. Because it was the first, uh, next generation console to depending hit the market. On, depending on who you ask. Yeah. It is it is late this generation console. Yeah, but it's, it's all a matter of semantics. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, like it's not like we have version numbers that we could refer to, but the Wii U is, uh, of course, the the high definition first HD console that Nintendo has uh, has created, um, and it also has the crazy wacky controller with the uh, the display uh, incorporated directly into the controller. 
And um, yeah, we did a we did an episode about Wii U, so we don't need to go into it. But that was another pretty big story mm-hmm. um, for for hackers this year. And I mean the good style. Uh, the Raspberry Pi was making headlines. Yep, yep. Uh, which is basically a computer on a board. Um, and uh, you know, it people really the people who came out with it intended it to be sort of an educational tool, basically an inexpensive computer that people could use to learn how to program mm-hmm. computers from sort of from the ground up. But uh, other people, people who like to take things apart and make new things with them, hackers, um, also like it because you can do all kinds of other – you can use them as very basic computers to run all kinds of different projects. Yeah, things so like robotics. I mean, oh, like, yeah. it's it's kind of this, – this along with things like the Arduino um, uh, products as well as the Kinect sensor, these, these sort of off-the-shelf components – are making it easier and easier for hackers to build really super cool stuff. Now, in some cases, the stuff is is meant for sort of an artistic expression. It's not necessarily yeah. a practical uh, uh, product that's coming out of this. But it's it's to me, it's just as relevant as any other form of artwork. It's a kind of a way to express oneself, to use creativity. Uh, there takes uh, a certain level of skill and knowledge. Uh, to be able to to create something that works and is aesthetically pleasing in some way, so I find these sort of things very exciting, both from the educational standpoint and from the artistic standpoint. I really am pleased to see more of those things come out, and we've heard about other very cheap computer on a chip systems yeah. since then as well. So that's an interesting trend, and I hope we see that continue. Um, had a couple of big science stories. Oh, I did too. I wanted to mention a couple of other um, company-related oh, sure. things sure. really quickly. We don't have to get into it. We've done individual episodes about many of these things. Uh, one positive one was uh, uh, Google making sure that um, uh, the people of Kansas City have their daily dose of fiber. Yeah, um, Google. Yes, they're they're rolling out, uh, still rolling out as of the time we're recording this um the Google Fiber high-speed internet access. Kansas City was one of those places that uh, competed to be the first um, fiber hood. And basically they had people sign up front and say, this is where I live. And uh, Google chose the, the places that were more highly populated with potential customers as places to roll out their uh, high-speed internet access offering first for for logical reasons. They you know It's expensive to, to start this kind of networking from ground, the ground up. But um, so far, it seems to be a success. Um, and in more sad tech news, we've had the uh, bankruptcy of Kodak mm-hmm. uh, earlier again in the year. Um, and, uh, you know, the patent sell-off there. Um, you know, a once mighty uh, film camera company has just had difficulty finding its uh, its niche in the, uh, the new place of things, even though digital cameras have been among its offerings. Um, still not gone, but... Um, Certainly has uh, has fallen somewhat, but yes, yeah, science stories. We had uh, the Mars rover, for example. Yes, yeah, the Curiosity rover was one of those stories that that definitely captured attention and imagination in 2012. I had the the uh, honor and privilege of of being invited on to this week in tech's coverage, live coverage of the touchdown, which meant that I was up at 12:30 in the morning here on the East Coast. But uh, it was a small price to pay to be a part of a team that was really talking about the excitement behind this sort of 
exploration. One of the many things that was really cool about the Curiosity rover landing was the way they landed the rover through using a sky crane. The, the, if you guys don't remember, the rover weighed over a ton. And at that size, they could not use the traditional methods of landing a rover on the surface of Mars without risking damage to the rover's equipment. Because usually what they would do is use booster rockets to slow the descent and set down the, the rover, or they would use a an airbag system and essentially drop the airbag from a certain height, and then the rover would bounce on the surface of Mars and then extract itself from the 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 airbags, but they couldn't really do that with the size and, and mass of this particular device. Yeah. So they use a sky crane. And in the past, those methods have not always worked as effectively as they the scientists had hoped. So this brand new method using the sky crane was sort of a scary proposition. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Yeah, and, and it meant that a lot of the, the uh, operation had to be automated because the delay in signals from that point in space to Earth meant that there would be like a 14-minute delay between getting a signal and being able to send a signal back. So you couldn't make minute corrections uh, in anything close to real time. You had to plan for as much as you could in advance and hope that the system worked the way you intended it to. And in this case, it worked amazingly well. The The... The craft descended. It slowed a little bit in the atmosphere. It used a parachute to slow itself a little bit further. It then used booster rockets to slow the descent even more. It then lowered the rover on a crane attached to the rockets uh, until it touched down on the surface of Mars. Uh, the cables broke away from the rover. The the landing the sky crane itself flew off and crashed several hundred meters away so that the rover would not be uh, damaged by the crash that was supposed to happen yeah and it worked and uh that was uh, i mean the the reaction in mission control when they got confirmation that the rover had touched down safely was i mean such an expression of joy and excitement that you know it was hard to keep a smile off your face to see all these nerds dancing around <laughs> And I say that with absolute affection. I really, I, I would, you know, I, I got to watch it live too because I was covering it, and it was a uh, uh, one of those things that just makes you feel really optimistic to see something that you would think, "Gosh, that just sounds insane," and yet they pulled it off. Uh, it's really a testament to what we can achieve if we really put our minds to it. So. Um, it was a, a pretty great story. And then, of course, that's just the beginning of the story. The real story is the, the stuff that the rover is discovering as it is doing its mission on Mars, which, again, that's stuff that we're still finding out about today. Uh, some of that became like uh, some little false positives about stuff that got us excited at first, and then further discussion and further examination seemed to negate some of those early uh, discoveries, things like uh, uh, at first they thought that maybe there was methane present in uh, in amounts large enough to suggest that perhaps something organic could have been on the surface of Mars to produce that methane. But then after considering the, the possibility that the methane could have been brought along with the rover from Earth uh, and doing some further tests, it seemed to indicate that that was... Uh, a premature assumption that the methane itself was not 
present in any significant amount on the surface of Mars. Uh, but, you know, take some, you, you, know, you lose some. Yeah, another uh, another flawless touchdown was a guy named Felix Bumgardner who uh, yeah. uh, didn't jump on the surface of Mars, was a little closer to home, but he did set a, a new record for uh, – or set the record. I know setting a new record is – you know, yeah. redundant, but um, yeah, set it set a, um, a a brand new height from which he jumped from essentially space yeah. to yeah. Uh, parachute down to the surface of Earth and landed flawlessly. Yeah, your your mileage may vary as far as the term space goes, but yes. but he did jump from a height greater than anyone has ever jumped before. Yes, and he did it, uh, and it was. Again, something I watched live, and again, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying to see this man step out on a tiny ledge, the ledge the size of a skateboard attached to the capsule, hanging over absolutely nothing, <laughs> looking down at the at the earth, and then just letting go and falling. Keeping in mind that for the first par- portion of his descent, he had no control over his orientation uh, or attitude at all in the air because there wasn't enough air resistance for him to be able to position himself the way a skydiver would in a traditional jump. So, I mean, watching him kind of tumble was, I, my heart was in my throat. Uh, and then once he uh, was able to use air resistance to help orient himself, it was smooth falling from there. Yes, yes. And I, I, I agree with you at um, watching him uh, tumble around like that made me think that he was going to black out. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, he did not, and and was successful in in landing. Uh, slightly more successful than a bear named Bruno, who decided to jump from slightly farther out into a block of cement, did not end as well. Those of you who are Looney Tunes fans will know what I'm talking about. But Jonathan's looking at me funny, which means he probably wants to hurry up now that we're going long and talk about the Higgs boson. Thank you. Yes, the Large Hadron Collider. This is this is actually the last story I have on my list. Uh, the Higgs boson is a theoretical particle uh, that would help explain why matter has mass. Why does matter have mass? What is it that makes matter have mass? Uh, and it, uh, the Large Hadron Collider, they were talking about uh, d- this would be one of the reasons that they would conduct experiments there is to see if there's any evidence for the Higgs boson particle. So this particle theoretically would explain why matter has mass if it in fact exists. Uh, mathematically, it all seems to work out. But the problem is that we did not have observable or experimental data that would prove its existence. It was just one of those things that it would be awfully convenient if it did exist because then it would explain this. Um, Some experiments at the LHC this year brought up some uh, data that seems to support the existence of the Higgs boson. Uh, I say seems to support because the scientists were very careful to say that while it was very encouraging and it could potentially be evidence that the Higgs boson is in fact a thing and that they did in fact observe it. Uh, they, you know, they want to continue to study and replicate the study to make certain that that is in fact the case, which of course is the way good science happens. If you discover something in science, you do want to try and replicate that experiment, uh, preferably get someone else to replicate it if you can. 
to make sure that what you have observed is in fact uh, a real phenomena and not just something that was um, uh, due to instrumentation error or human error or something else. And, uh, and so it may very well be that we have uncovered the evidence of the Higgs boson, which would be interesting. Now, I know there are plenty of physicists out there who were hoping that perhaps it would be something else because it would mean something new to find. The worry is that, or one of the worries is that, uh, if we do prove the existence of the Higgs boson, that we have answered one question and it kind of makes us hit a dead end and we can't find out more about the fundamental nature of matter in, in that particular avenue uh, because of that, which would be kind of sad. Um, so that's kind of interesting to me, the idea that if you answer a question, it's kind of sad because the answer is the end. And then you have to find new questions to ask, which to me is just as exciting. But then I'm not a physicist who's dedicated my entire life upon upon one part of particle physics. Um, and and honestly, I can't really speak about this to any greater length because, uh, I mean, I have a layman's understanding of the whole thing. I mean, I, I know what a hadron is. That's about as, that's about as, as detailed as I can get. Still fascinating to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to it means that we are slowly increasing our knowledge about some of the fundamental forces that uh, that are in our universe, like the strong nuclear force. I mean, that's one of the four fundamental forces. It's the strongest of the four, and uh, and these experiments help us understand more about that fundamental force and to to understand why it works the way it does. Um, very exciting stuff, and I, I am so pleased to hear about the successes at the LHC because, you know, when it was first being built and when it was first coming online, it had so many problems early, early on that it was a bit nerve-wracking, you know? you know, They had delays because of helium leaks. They had delays because of birds with baguettes. It was uh, one of those things where you didn't want to – you didn't want to see them fail – but you were starting to get a sinking sensation that it was going to be a lot harder than you thought. And then once things got turned around, you know, the, the information coming out of the LHC was very exciting. And they still have, I mean, countless experiments to run. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what other information we uncover using those, that, that enormous machine to learn more about our universe. Agreed. <laughs> so okay. simply put, Chris. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I uh, I have to disagree with my earlier statement. Okay. There was a lot of stuff that happened <laughs> in 2012. Yeah. It didn't seem like it when I went back over it, but then I started looking at my notes from, you know, all the titles that uh, I take notes and keep all my notes for tech stuff in one place. And I started thinking, oh, well, then there's that. And, oh, there's another story I, I just hadn't thought about. Yeah, again, it so was there's it, a lot. There were there were stories that were and and like some of the things like the CISPA PIPA stuff, the mega upload stuff, um, you know that that kind of thing is going to affect policies moving forward. The the internet outage in Syria and Libya that that stuff is going to definitely play a bigger role in 2013. Um, a lot of this we see as the continuation of trends and the escalation of trends. Yes. And I expect that, uh, that 2013 will have even more of that. We, we may see some pretty, um, uh, dramatic outcomes to some of these stories. 
the McAfee story alone. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out and whether, you know, whether or not this becomes one of the biggest mysteries of uh, of uh, internet personalities that I can think of. I mean, if what McAfee says is all true, then it's got to be one of the craziest like uh, character assassination attempts ever, <laughs> because the the information that's come out that McAfee has you know, the things that McAfee has uh, supposedly done, according to these allegations, uh, is so different from what he claims to have happened that you wonder, all right, if that's true, if what McAfee's saying is true, someone is going to great lengths to to really drag him through the mud. That's true. So what's the story behind that? And if in fact, McAfee is fibbing and the allegations are true. That alone is movie material. In fact, if a movie is not made about McAfee, at least from inspired by what McAfee has done, I will be shocked. Mm-hmm. And again, there are still a couple weeks left after we record this in 2012. Um, Bradley Manning just went on trial for the WikiLeaks mm-hmm. scandal, which didn't happen in 2012. But, you know, the trial is, is started in motion now. So. Um, you know, there, there are still some other things that will happen and other, other things that have been set into motion before this. So uh, 2013 may just be a year of big news. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Well, uh, guys, our next episode will be the one you've all been waiting for, where Chris and I will sit down and grade ourselves for our performance from last year's predictions Orama. Uh And uh, so you'll want to stay tuned and listen in to that one. And if you guys have any suggestions for future topics that Tech Stuff can cover, I highly suggest that you write us at techstuffatdiscovery.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 